Well, great to see you all here on uh, Father's Day. Hopefully your day's off to a, a good start already. Mine uh, started with a, a custom gift from my six-year-old daughter. I thought I'd share that with you. It is a Lego cross with some big red attached to it and then some erasers for the work that I do. And so that was a, nothing, nothing like a, a custom gift. I'll cherish that forever <laughs> or till the end of the day. All right. <laughs> well, hopefully your, your day's off to a good start, too. We're excited this morning to be uh, continuing in God's Word. We're in John, 1 John chapter 5, again, closer to the completion of uh, the book. We're in verses 6 through 12 this morning and talking about the ultimate testimony, God's. But before we dive into the text, I was just thinking, wondering how many of you at some point in your collegiate career had a philosophy class? Anybody here have a philosophy class? I remember one time having a philosophy class and spending the majority of the time where we had a picture on that, that he put up. I don't know if it was a screen at that point, but he brought up this picture of a goat. So here, the, he, the, this goat was the, the picture on the screen, and we had to debate with the professor as to what type of animal it was. And everybody, of course, was like, of course, it's, it's a goat. It's, it's obvious. And he's like, well, why is it a goat? Well, it has hooves. Well, horses have hooves. Then it went on to, well, it has a goatee. Well, Gen Xers have goatees. And it went on and on of this conversation about why this thing, this picture, was a goat. And it drove me crazy because this professor could have had an argument or a case the entire time as to how that, that clearly we didn't understand. At the end of the class, I was like, well, maybe it's not a goat, you know, like at, at the end of it, because we're in a world of such confusion and doubt where truth is relative to the person who determines that it's true. It sends us in a, in a whirlwind of confusion so that we're, so often people wonder what, first off, what it is they believe, and even, even worse, if it's possible to even have belief because of the environment we're in. And here this morning, we're going to see in our text that it's not, there's a pushback. Because the, the, the truth is, is, when somebody's discontent with that whirlwind of confusion and doubt, they start going on this adventure, this journey, seeking truth themselves. I love that, that God honors that and he even promises, he says, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all of your heart. This idea that there is the potential to know truth. And when anybody that's taken any steps towards discovering truth, they come to this simple conclusion, is that, yes, you, you have to weigh the, the testimony, you have to weigh the evidence, and eventually there comes this crossroads where faith has to kick in. There comes this crossroads where you've seen it all laid out, you've heard the testimony, and you come to this point where you have to make a decision what it is you actually believe. In our text this morning, this morning, we're going to see that there's an enormous decision that everybody on our planet is left to make, to make. And here's that decision, is whether or not we believe the testimony that God has about his son. Whether or not we believe the testimony that God has about his son. Let me pray as we dive in. Dear Lord, we ask now that you'd speak to us through this text that we believe is God-breathed. We believe that you spoke every word in Scripture. 
through the different personalities and writers, but we ask that you would that you would be making yourself real and evident through this text that we'd understand that our our basis for for our faith is not blind, it's not uh, with no foundation, it's based on you and your testimony. Pray that you'd speak to us, that I'd be small and you'd be great. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you wouldn't mind turning with me to see this testimony, we're in chapter 5 of 1 John and just looking at six verses this morning, 6 through 12. Starts off in verse 6, says this, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If you remember last week, we spent some time talking about the joys and benefits of being overcomers for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And now John's turning a a bit of a corner and he's pointing to the testimony that validates the belief that we have. That there's a reason we believe the things we do. It's not just, woohoo, this is fun, we believe this. No, there's a reason for that. And he first points to the testimony of the Spirit. The Spirit testifies that Jesus is is the Christ. Testify is used nine times in this short section, so there's kind of a running theme there. First thing that it points to, and this can be a little bit confusing, this is he who came by water and blood. Came by water, at first you're like, what is he talking about with came by water? Is he a surfer? Like, what, what do you mean, like, came by water? What, is, what does it actually mean? And there's actually some debate amongst theologians what he's pointing towards. Some believe that when he referred to, to water, that it's the same thing that was said in John 3, 5, when Jesus talks about being born of water. It's a, a reference to the beginning of life, if you will. So some would believe that is the reference, just that the fact of, of pointing to Jesus' life and death, both of those two things, being an evidence of the Spirit. Others believe, and which I would lean towards, is that the, speaking of the water, if you think of Jesus' life, it was bookended by two things. The bapt, his baptism was the beginning of his public ministry, and then his death and resurrection was the conclusion of his earthly ministry. And so those two being the two bookends, either way, The point is this, is that throughout, from start to finish, there's testimony through the Holy Spirit's power working in his life, pointing and screaming to the fact that he was who he claimed to be, that he was the Christ. Think about if you take the baptism perspective on this. Baptism, around his baptism, you remember the account in Matthew 3.17, where it talks about the, the Spirit coming down and descending on him as, uh, like a dove when he first comes out of the water. And then what did the, the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. You imagine being present at that event. You mean pretty, pretty epic experience. You know, a, a voice from heaven, a, 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 something that looked like a dove coming, landing on, on Jesus Christ. That would have been, don't you think that would have been a memory marker if you're an observer of that? Like that, was, that was just one of the evidences. And then his life, if you're staying with the belief in it being his life, everything screamed of him being the Christ. Every amazing miracle, every profound word, every single thing had evidences of him not being just an ordinary Joe. And then culminating, as we see here, all three working together, culminating with his death, all leading to that. 
I think a lot of times we like to talk about all the amazing things that he did in his life, and a lot of people neglect what actually went down, even when he was dying, even when he was on the cross. Matthew 27 gives the account, starting in verse 45, of some of the happenings in the, the, around the cross event. When, when first, do you remember some of the, these things? Matthew 27, 45, first thing we saw that was three hours of complete darkness in the middle of the day. Wouldn't that be something that you're like, whoa, something is going on here. This is, not, this is not an ordinary thing. This is not the usual. Like, why is it nighttime in the middle of the day? That, that's a, what has to happen in order for that to occur is the sun has to be blocked. Like, think about that for a moment. Talk about the ultimate testimony of him being the Christ. Like, what causes darkness, complete pitch black in the middle of the day? Verse 51, just a tangible thing. It talks also about the veil being torn from the top to the bottom. This was what separated uh, man from being in the holy presence of God. All of a sudden, because of Jesus' sacrifice, that, that separation was no longer this. Many people have tried to figure out how that could have been pulled off by man, and there's just no real conclusion with the size and magnitude. It would have been a, a multi, just many people involved in order for that to happen. Verses 51 through 53, we see some of the other events around his death, what was happening. It says that the ground shook, so a major earthquake, like pretty, pretty significant happening there. You see, so it's come, picture that, that moment. It's pitch black. The ground starts shaking all around you. Then, then what's the next thing that Scripture says happens? Then uh, Hollywood didn't come up with zombies. Like, this is a scripture idea. Like, then dead people, uh, people that had died that were in Christ, came back to life and are walking around. Like, what in the world? Like, how much testimony does there need to be that this is not an ordinary person? This is Jesus the Christ. This is him. This is God in the flesh. You think about it in verse 54 of Matthew 27, talking about a, a, a Roman centurion. He says, truly, this was the son of God. That's the only conclusion that anybody could come to after observing all that went down, all of these things working together as testimony of Jesus being the Christ. Verse 9, it continues, not just, the, not just the, the Holy Spirit's testimony validating his claims, but God himself. It says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Think about those first couple words there. If we receive the testimony of men... Think how often in our life it's part of the, the human experience that we take somebody's word for something, right? Anybody been burned by that before? Anybody thought somebody was saying something truthful and then you find out later that it was completely a lie? I think if we had an open mic, we could all come and share stories of experiences here. We probably won't do that. But, uh, but I was thinking of that even in the last week, my... My, my little family enjoys going to uh, Six Flags, the, the poor man's Disney, and uh, we, we end up going there quite, quite a bit. And uh, a couple of weeks back, they had the opening, maybe you've seen the opening of the new ride, the Twisted Colossus. Maybe some of you remember when you were little, went on this Colossus ride, but now it's new and improved and da more dangerous. And, uh, and I read on Facebook, which 
everything on Facebook is true, right? I, I read that there was a major crash and lots of injuries on the Colossus this past week. I was like, oh my goodness, we, we, we just went on the Colossus. I'm like, what's, what's happening here? And I looked and did a little more research and I found out, guess what? It was made up. It was a lie. Everybody, it's encouraging. You can go on the Twisted Colossus and it's safe. So that's somewhat safe. And, uh, and, and so here, just thinking, I don't know how that relates, barely. But the point being is a lot of times we get burned by man's testimony about something. You can hear story after story. You can even get a group of people collectively to say something. And you're like, well, that's great. But what does God say? What does it say here? It says the testimony of God is greater. Don't you love how sometimes reading uh, text, it doesn't quite come to life. It's like, talk about the, the, the most minor way of saying something extravagant. Yes, duh, the testimony. If God says something, like that's greater than whatever Jamoke says something, you know, whatever goofy person says something. Like if God says something, it's valid. It's to be believed. Imagine if you're in a, a court of law and you're, you're, have a def- this, you're a defense lawyer, and you're trying to defend something, and you find out that somebody is coming up to, to testify against your client and, and to come up, and what, what would you do if all of a sudden the next person listed as the person to come share the truth is like, next person up on the stand is God Almighty. Like, <laughs> you, you'd be like, all right, I, I'm done. I, I pack up my suitcases. I'm out of here. Because, because why? Because all the prior testimonies, all the testimonies you could come up with are really pointless if God Almighty says something, right? Here's what he's pointing to. He's just stating the, the obvious, that, that whatever he says goes. question we have that we're left with is, do we believe his testimony? Verse 10 describes those of us who do. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Think of the first part of that verse. It says that the testimony is in himself. Some believe that that's referring to the Holy Spirit's presence in the life of a believer. Other might take it more in terms of thinking of saying that anybody that's embraced or accepted or believed in Christ has their own testimony, their own story. Either one pointing to the, the fact that you've made that choice and it's your own your own testimony. You think about in our interactions with the world around us, probably the the most powerful tool that we have with the world around us is what? Our own story. Our own story of when we encountered Christ. When When our life collided with his, when we came, when the layers finally came off of our eyes and we came to the conclusion that, wait a second, this is true. This is true. I, I, I am a sinner. I am in desperate need of forgiveness. I did need God intervening on my behalf. When that finally clicks for something, somebody, that testimony is a powerful one. Can you imagine talking to the Apostle Paul, trying to debate with him, trying to, as he's telling his story? He's just like, you don't understand. A light came from heaven, knocked me on my back, on my face, My eyes were blinded, not much debating with Paul about his experience. My hope is the same is true for us, that we're secure in our testimony. We can point to our story, and we came came out of darkness into the light. 
My hope is, is that each one of us is really comfortable and confident in your own story, that you've actually can, can verbalize that. It's a powerful tool in sharing with other people. If you think about how to do that, I think of one simple way is just if you break down your story like this, talking about it, your life before Christ, when you encountered Christ, what life has been like since coming to Christ. Those three pieces are, are, are critical components. So you think about life before Christ, whether it was complete confusion or maybe you just had never paused to think about eternal things. So that's a, an important piece. Maybe that's a, a, in your story, you're lacking peace, lacking hope. Maybe some of you, your story is, man, I had hit rock bottom. I couldn't do anything else on my own. I was desperate and that's when I met Jesus Christ. That's when I called out to him. And that's the piece of one describing in our story when it is we encountered Christ for the first time. I don't know what it was like for you. I don't know what your story is. But that's a powerful time to include the gospel message and say, man, I, I realized my desperate need for a savior that I had fallen and I, I couldn't solve my problem. And th that's when I called out to Jesus Christ. That's a powerful piece of your testimony. Then another aspect, as we're kind of working on our stories and what to share is the, the obvious, what's life, what life has looked like since then. It's not like everything's rosy and everything's perfect. Some of us that have been following the Lord for a while can say, no, it's, it's not necessarily easy, but we're not alone any longer. We have a confidence in Jesus Christ. We have a, a confidence in our eternity. We have a purpose for our existence. There's meaning now to why we're here. That's all part of your story. Are you comfortable sharing your testimony? What does it say there for those that haven't believed the testimony of God? What does it describe? It says, because he, he has not believed in the testimony. I'm sorry. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. We see there, it's obvious, God doesn't take that lightly. It's not something just casual, like, oh yeah, I don't really believe God. What is, it, what is that in essence saying? It's in essence saying all of these things in Jesus' life that screamed of him being God in the flesh, you're saying, nope, don't believe it. You're a liar. I don't believe you. Like, think about what it is when we reject God's testimony about who he is. That's why he's, he's not mincing words there. He's saying that you're, you're, in essence, you're calling God a liar. That's a big deal. Continues in that same vein with some pretty blunt words. He says, and this is the testimony. He's crystal clear here about this. That, get, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Pretty cut and dry, right? That's as crystal clear as it can be put. Basically, in summer, if you have Jesus, you have life. If not, you're dead. Like, as blunt as Donald Trump. You know, like he's just directly saying it with no question. Just this is the way that it is. What is he referring to when he says life? He's referring, you see there in verse 11, referring to eternal life. You can have this, but in order to have eternal life, you have to have the Son. What does it mean to have something? You think about different things in your life that when you have something, when you, you have a cold, you have what? You have a snotty nose, you've got the sore throat, maybe the sinus pressure. Like when you have something, there's evidences 
in your life when you have a baby? Do you remember some of the things that come along with that? When you, when you have a baby, you've got the tears, you've got the stinky diaper, you've got all the things that come along in the joy of their beautiful smiles. Uh, you, see, you see all the things that come along with having something. But you see, what does it point to here? When you have the Son, when you've embraced Him through faith, you get everything that comes along with Him. And what does the text say comes along with Him? Is eternal life. I think there's some confusion about what eternal life is. John 17.3 helps clarify that. It says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. A lot of times we think of a time period when we're relating to eternal life, but it's not a time period. It's about a relationship. That's eternal life. That's it. When all of a sudden our belief moves to, yes, I believe in the Son, then all of a sudden that's the beginning of a relationship. That's what it's designed to be is a relationship. That's what comes with the package. I enjoyed watching some of the NBA finals over the last couple weeks. I don't know if anybody else did uh, enjoyed the outcome of uh, that last game. Uh, nothing to do with LeBron. Well, maybe a little bit. But Stephen Curry was a real blast to watch. I don't know if you've caught any of the uh, NBA finals, but he was the MVP of the, the league this season. And one of the fun things about Stephen Curry is he has a bold testimony about Jesus Christ. And uh, I notice sometimes in the athletic world, you have people talk about like the vague God thing. Yes, God helped me do that. And you're like, well, God means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Not, not Stephen Curry. He's just like, you know what? I'll tell you about when my relationship with Jesus Christ began. I've literally heard him say that. Like this, this, is, the, this is when my relationship started with Jesus Christ. I've been following him. And everything points towards a relationship. He's a wonderful spokesman for that amongst the sports world thinking about that, I said, that he, he gets it. He gets what eternal life, and this is eternal life, life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. The truth is, though, some of us are just like, yeah, but man, I, I feel like I, I know him, but the relationship's not exactly what I'd hoped it would be. Anybody, if we're, if we're honest, sometimes we're just like, yeah, I know him and I've walked with him, but man, I, I just wish there was more to that relationship and I wish there were more evidences. Here's a little bit of hope. And this I find in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. It says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's a beautiful picture. Right now, it's like being on a, on a first date where you're like, yes, I enjoy him and I'm getting to know him. But at some point, and that's where the eternal life kicks in, at some point when we pass from this life to the next, then all of a sudden those layers are off and you're like, man, you're going to know him, know him, know him, know him. Not just a little bit, not just know about him, but literally Know him intimately. One of the things that's the hardest parts of my job is visiting people when they're getting close to the end of their life. I got to, two weeks ago, spend some time with Stella Segan in the ICU and just going to see her. I knew that she had cancer and I knew that her body was failing, but it's, it's different when you go in the room and you see somebody as they're getting close to death. She was maybe 90 pounds and really it just, you, you, you see that, that man, it's, it's getting close. 
And in that, that room, in that moment, as we're just talking for a few minutes, I got to pray for her, and I'm trying to give her hope to keep holding on and, and encouraging her family. And, and, uh, but the peace in my mind, the whole time that I'm, that I'm standing there, is I kept thinking to her, I wanted to just tell her, it's about to get so much better for you. She knew Jesus Christ. She had made him the, the Lord and Savior of, of her life. And I just want to say, things are about to get really good. Things are about to change. This, this death, this sickness, all this is about to, to wash and fade away. Things are about to get really good for you. And that's the hope that we have because whoever has the Son has life. And what does it say? Pretty direct statement. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That so goes against the grain of the world around us because we want to have this idea of like, oh, everybody, we're all in the family. Everybody's a part of this. Everybody's going to uh, eventually be in heaven together and this, this uh, all one world religion idea. And it's just not the case. Our God's an exclusive God. Our God, it's, it's, it, it's crystal clear. You either have, you've either embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior or in the text here, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's not me making up words. It's talking on Monday with a guy that I've gotten to know at the, the gym at 24 Fitness uh, and, and just hanging out and just chatting a little bit. And we were talking about uh, religion a bit. And he had known that I was a pastor. And he was, he was asking me, he's like, yeah, he says, the way I see it, I kind of take kind of the, some of the great things from all the different world religions. And I kind of see them as all lights pointing towards the path to God. And I was like, well, that's, that, sounds, that sounds great. I said, I said, but I have a hard time because the Jesus that I followed, he made a pretty bold statement when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. So it doesn't seem like there's a lot of options there. And he's, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I said, I said, he said, he said, uh, I said, you know, it, what's especially hard is when your different belief systems have opposing views, they can't all be right. It just, just think about it logically. He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. And he's like, uh, he said, you know what? I really think it would help if, if God gave this, this world a, a, a reboot. You know, like a, a restart, a, a start over, a, a mulligan, if you will. And I was like, yeah, he did that with Noah. That didn't go real well for us, did it? And, and so it was, it was a good conversation. And, uh, and, and he left just saying there's some good things to, to think about. And so just those conversations. And, and the, the first inclination is for you to be like, yeah, it's great. We're all together, you know, coexist. And, uh, and, and, and all of that. Like you can, you can respect people for sure. But that doesn't change the fact that Scripture is pretty clear, not pretty, is clear about this. There's one testimony that matters. It's God's testimony. Look with me just briefly at Hebrews 2, 1 through 3 on the screen here. It says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, remember them saying, Jesus is coming, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, Jesus' work on the cross, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In other words, why would you skip out on that? Continues, it was declared at first by the Lord, 
and it was attested to us by those who heard, the disciples and followers, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, how much more does it take? It's everywhere. It was pronounced from the angels. It was evidence in Jesus' birth through a virgin. It was evidence through his baptism, the beginning of his, his ministry, miracles through his life, his death, and then don't even get us started on his resurrection, coming back to life. Everything screams to the testimony that God sent his son on our behalf as the ultimate sacrifice, and for us, not just to embrace that testimony, to speak that testimony, right? It wasn't something designed for us to just like, oh man, that's awesome, I got all that truth and I'm just holding on to it. It's for us to extend it out. I was talking to my wife this week, she's working hard on the VBS details, and so many hours go into this crazy thing from design of stage to programs to every single thing it's a it's a big working deal and I'm so grateful for everybody that chips into that we're talking a little bit about it and we're both like but what we don't want we don't we don't want this to be just a daycare program we want this to be where people families children where people hear the testimony about Jesus Christ why is that why are we so why are we so concerned like take it easy you know it's not such a you know why we're so concerned Because of verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's a lot at stake here. It's a big deal. It's why we have it on the door as you walk in and counter, equip, and then extend. It's part of who we are. And if you think about it, it's the greatest love that you could extend to somebody is just to proclaim your testimony about a God that can redirect their eternity. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this text and I thank you for your testimony. I thank you that you entered into the courtroom and said, there's one more voice here that needs to be heard. Mine. God, I thank you that you spoke through so many different evidences, through so many things that can't be explained away by circumstance or happenstance or or whatever science thing we want to come up with. God, that Jesus Christ in and of himself was evidence of being the Messiah, the one each one of us, our heart longs for, the one that each one of us has the the, the hole in our heart for, the one that we can't figure out why the, the things of this world that we keep trying to stuff in that hole don't satisfy, the one that solves it all. God, we thank you for that, that you didn't leave us here in our sin and rebellion, that you chose to enter in, to pursue us, to chase us, to draw us to yourself. Such a good and loving God. We praise you here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Couldn't be a more perfect way to end our time together with that, a statement of our testimony, right? Let's live it. Let's speak it. Amen. Have a wonderful Father's Day. Enjoy a hot dog on us, all right? God bless you.